Hello and welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I am happy to have you joining us today as we talk about a subject that I enjoy a great deal entitled, It's Just Math. Successful investing, whether it's uh, commercial real estate investing, as we do, or I believe any other kind of investing uh, that you work on, uh, it's not about hunches. It's not about tips. It's not about a latest fad. It's not about an article you read in some publication or something else. It's also not rocket science. Uh, uh, an education, uh, a degree in certain areas uh, can be very beneficial and it's not required. It's really just math. And at its simplest, uh, it's something everyone should understand. And today we're gonna to talk about math associated with commercial multifamily real estate. Again, thanks for joining us. We, um, we have lots of great educational material that I would encourage you to take advantage of. Uh, whatever channel you're listening to us on, whether it's through uh, iTunes or Alexa or Stitcher or Google Play or all the other platforms that you can access uh, multifamily real estate investing presented by Mara Poling on. Uh, that's one great way to access some educational content. Uh, we have a wonderful webinar series for each of our podcasts. There's a sister webinar and uh, the It's Just Math webinar is coming up in a couple of weeks. Please go register for it at the Learning Center at marapoling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And uh, you'll find lots of other great material there as well, webinars on other subjects. For webinars that we've just held recently, and we're about halfway, coming up on halfway through season two, uh, there are links to recordings of our sessions uh, there as well. So again, that's the Learning Center at marapoling.com. So I want to talk a little bit about the basics of how commercial real estate works. Uh, and I underscore the word commercial real estate, commercial multifamily real estate, uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one is commercial is different than residential. So residential would be if you were to purchase a single family home that you turned into a rental property or a duplex or a fourplex. As you grow in size, the line technically is at five units. Uh, realistically, it's probably larger than that when you really start getting into what you would truly think of as a commercial space. Uh, we operate uh, around 80 to 100 on the low end, <clears throat> pardon me, to, um, uh, to several hundred on the higher end for, uh, for our size. Uh, but that's one of the, the differences. The primary difference is uh, how it works from a valuation standpoint. Uh, that's certainly one of the big differences uh, that, that you'll experience. And that is if you purchase a single family home and decide you're gonna rent it out, uh, you are gonna pay uh, a price for that home based on what it's worth compared to other single family homes in the neighborhood, which may or may not be rentals. Uh, and the same is basically gonna be true for the other smaller properties. When you go buy a 100 unit property, a commercial piece of real estate, uh, and again, commercial multifamily or other types of commercial, 
you're purchasing essentially think of it as buying a business you're buying a business that generates revenue and has expenses and when it's done it's got income and that income is before you get into things like debt expense and so on so that allows you to compare apples to apples one property to another because you're not looking at how leveraged any one of those are in the commercial real estate space that number we're talking about is called net operating income and the value of your property is a function of net operating income as you grow net operating income the property grows in value unlike a single family home which you can grow the operating income that it generates it's still going to be worth what the other homes in that neighborhood are worth so that's certainly one of the differences we want to talk about some others so we're going to spend a little time uh, talking about some of the specific elements of math uh, for a podcast i think this will be a great uh, intro if you haven't spent time on this please go register at the learning center for the uh, upcoming webinar uh, you'll get a lot of uh, a lot of value out of that i um, i believe Okay, so uh, let's talk about the underwrite. You may hear that term, you might hear the term pro forma. Uh, those are all uh, fancy highfalutin words for a budget or a forecast. So uh, what we do and what you should do if you're looking at making an investment in real estate yourself where you're gonna own the property, or if you're gonna invest with a firm like Mara Poling, you should be asking to see these documents, performance and such, so that you can see what the assumptions are. And you're gonna go through and make a bunch of assumptions. Here's what the current rent is. This is what I think I can do with rent over time in terms of growing it. Here's what my current expenses are for property taxes and insurance and, um, you know, utilities and anything else that might be the responsibility of you, the property owner, uh, or in our case, uh, more polling, which would also include things like our on-site property management team and so on. Uh, and then when you're done, you're left with this number, this, this income, right? You've got rent minus these expenses and you've got an operating income. Here's what's not in operating income. It doesn't include debt. So this is not uh, interest expense. It's not the actual check that's written every month. Now, there absolutely is something that's done like that. For each of these properties, you're going to have a note, most likely. Uh, but I might choose to have a different amount of leverage than you might choose to have on very similar properties. When we go to sell them, our properties, if they have the same operating income, the same net operating income, they're going to sell for basically the same price, even though one of us might have made a higher return because they used more leverage uh, or conversely, one of us a lower return because we use less. So that's not included. There's also other fees and expenses. So capital that you put into the property when you're making capital investments, that's not part of, of the net operating income calculation. So you're just looking at the pure raw uh, income that is generated from tenants paying rent and you covering the expenses. So you want to look at that and the things you're going to be looking for obviously are what kind of assumptions were made about how fast the rent's going to grow or what kind of expenses they're going to uh, to have. And if there's anything that doesn't make a lot of sense, ask questions. When we do that, we're pretty conservative about how we put those programs and those plans together because uh, we don't want to be in a position where uh, we've got what I refer to as a planetary alignment deal, one of these investments where it works great as long as everything happens exactly the way it's planned. And 
uh, I certainly have experienced that life doesn't work that way. So you want to have a pro forma, an underwrite, a plan that has uh, a little conservatism built into it, both in terms of rent growth, in terms of occupancy, in terms of expense growth, uh, all of those different factors. You could call that sandbagging. I think it's being a smart investor. And so if you're looking at uh, purchasing a property, a duplex, and you're gonna do this work yourself, uh, put a good plan together in terms of how you're going to, uh, to build all that. Uh, if you're making a investment with a firm like Mara Polling, ask questions about performance, understand how they do the underwrite. So the first number that we talked about, you heard me, was net operating income. I really view net operating income as the big lever in the entire investment. Anything you can do to move net operating income is going to affect everything else about the asset. It's going to affect how much cash is generated. It's going to affect how much uh, equity growth is uh, created. Uh, it is the, it's the key element in making the entire property perform well. So let's talk again about what makes NOI. You've really got a, just a couple of basic factors. One of the items obviously is rents. So if you've got a hundred unit property and you charge a thousand dollars a month in rent, then that's $12,000 a year on hundred units is $1.2 million. So you've got that much rent coming in. Now you can raise rents, right? And that's one of the ways that you could, if you raise the rents, you'll have more money coming in, expenses stay the same, you'll increase NOI. So that's one of the ways that you can move NOI is to raise rents. Another way that you can move NOI is to uh, manage vacancy and vacancy is consistent of, consisted of um, physical vacancy. So how many of those 100 units are empty at any given point in time? How many of those units did you have to give a deal on, right? So did you uh, give away $1,000 in discounts every month? If you did, that's $12,000 in a year that you gave away as, um, as discounts, which on a million two, 10% would be $120,000. 1% would be $12,000. So you have a 1% concession rate, which is typical, uh, probably the high end of what we would, uh, would look to have on one of our, um, on one of our assets. Uh, the other component of vacancy is bad debt. So uh, somebody doesn't pay rent, you go through the process, uh, they either uh, agree to leave or you go through an eviction process. Uh, there's some security deposit funds that potentially you're able to recover, but you're still short $1,000 or $500. That's bad debt. You have to write that off. Uh, so you want bad debt and concessions. Each of those, you'd like to see them at or below 1%. Uh, that's certainly the way we would envision uh, to have those perform. And then physical vacancy, uh, you're going to obviously make some assessments based on how the properties performed historically. This is one of the areas where commercial investing is going to give you some advantages over residential investing. If you buy a fourplex, uh, maybe you buy it on your own or you've got a friend, an investor buddy, and uh, you and he or she decide you're going to buy a fourplex, well, that fourplex is either 100% occupied or 75% or 50% or 25% or zero. There is no 80% occupancy. 
there is no 90% occupancy. So the occupancy is lumpy, if you will, in that property. If we've got 100 units, well, we have a whole host of ranges we could be at. We might have uh, six units vacant a month, which is 94% occupancy. And it's a lot easier to forecast. So it's one of the areas where, um, uh, where commercial is gonna give you some advantages over uh, residential. So you can increase rents, you can improve vacancy, whether it's by having fewer vacant units, fewer concessions, or less bad debt. You can also manage expenses, right? So you can grow your expenses slowly compared to how you're growing rents. So if you're growing rents 3% a year and you can grow your expenses at 2% a year, you're going to get an increase in net operating income because of that. And so that might be some things like, um, depending upon where you are, how property taxes are treated, are they reassessed every year, uh, what kind of rates are, uh, are used and, uh, and such, uh, expenses for uh, operating the property, right? So uh, there could be some utility expenses, landscaping, uh, other sorts of things. You're going to have some insurance expenses. Some of those you may be able to improve by shopping around and working on them. Uh, some of them you may be able to uh, manage by actually charging back your tenant. So for example, if you have uh, a pest control service that you use. And this is something you'll see very typically in a commercial space. Uh, so we spend a certain amount of money a month on uh, pest control. Uh, there may be a charge back to tenants, $2, $3 a month. You might say, well, gee, that doesn't sound like much. Well, you know, on 100 units, that's $300 every month. Over the course of the year, that's $3,600. You divide that by uh, the cap rate, and suddenly, you know, you've got a nice chunk of change. The property's worth thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars more than it was simply because you're managing that particular item uh, better. So, net operating income. How does that turn into cash? Well, you take net operating income. Now you're going to subtract those items that are cash expenses, where you write a check. So this is not depreciation. This is not amortization. That's about taxes. Uh, we did a great session on Taxman, uh, the Taxman Cometh, uh, and there's a, actually a webinar coming up for that very uh, soon, so please register for that if you have not yet. And um, so there's some great material there, but that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is you take the net operating income less any other cash expenses you have. So if there's any additional management fees that are paid, if there's, um, if there's debt service, right, so if there's a note, not just the interest expense, but you're going you're gonna to subtract out the actual note payment if there are reserves, right? If there are capital reserves. So typically for an asset that, again, Mara Poling would, uh, would have as an offering, we would take the net operating income. We would subtract out the monthly management fee for what we do uh, to, uh, to take care of the asset. We would subtract out the debt service, right? The note that's uh, paid on a monthly basis. And we would subtract out the amount of funds that are reserved every month, the check we send to the lender that they hold on to, which on average, you know, for a typical uh, property is gonna be 20, 25, 30 bucks a month per unit, something like that, that they'll hold in reserve for us to use for, uh, for capital uh, improvement. So you put all that together, 
uh, and then you're going to have um, the cash that's left. And that cash is what you can distribute uh, to investors. Again, that's the way we would operate. Uh, if it's you that are uh, doing this, again, on a property that you own yourself, uh, that's the cash that you could take. Uh, you might choose to keep some of that in reserve. We will do that as well. Um, but that's the cash flow. So when you talk about a cash on cash return, that's how you get that cash number. Again, how do you improve the cash return? Well, you can't really change the note once the note's in place. Um, if you're in doing the work yourself, you're getting the management fee, if you will, um, even though it's not really paid, it's coming to you in that cash number. If you're investing with a firm like us, there's a management fee that's baked in there, but that's there from the beginning. So that doesn't really uh, move in any significant way. And again, the lender's gonna set what those capital reserve numbers are. So there's actually not a lot of movement there other than NOI. So we're back to increase rents, manage vacancy, hold the line on expenses. That's how we can move NOI. So we've got NOI, we've got cash. Now we want to talk about the value, the, the growth in equity. And equity grows two ways on a piece of, uh, any piece of real estate, uh, uh, rental real estate. Uh, in particular on commercial real estate, we'll talk about uh, how that value grows. Uh, again, two ways. So the first is, uh, we take that NOI, remember we subtract out the cash items, one of the cash items we subtract is the mortgage payment. And that mortgage payment is exactly like the mortgage payment you pay on your own home. A modest amount of that, unless you're very near the end of your mortgage, a modest amount of that is the principal on the note. So we have a $5 million note on a property. Every month we're paying a very modest amount of that down. We might be paying, you know, $3,000 or $5,000 or $7,000, some number. We're paying some modest amount of money every month that reduces the principal of the loan. Most of the loan payment we make, obviously, is interest. Uh, and that's deducted for tax purposes. We don't get to deduct the principal that we're repaying. But think about that. Every month, the, there's principal that's paid. Uh, again, on the property that, uh, that Mara Poling uh, would uh, would be working on, we would see anywhere from two, two and a half percent on the low end to as much as three or even four percent return on investment simply from the principal being paid down on a monthly basis. Uh, so if you think about that, wow, that's a great return that's just baked in. So before you have any cash flow, uh, before there's any growth in the value of the property itself, simply paying the note down, you're getting a return that's already north of what you'd see from a treasury bill. Uh, and you're getting similar kinds of stability and uh, security. So that's a great return. That's one piece of it. The other piece of it is uh, the property grows in value. And this is going back to the original comments I said about commercial properties versus residential properties. If you buy a residential property for $200,000 and you turn it into a rental, when it comes time that you wanna sell that property, it may be worth $250,000, but it's not because you grew the net operating income, it's because other homes in the area that look like that are also worth $250,000. In a commercial property, if we buy a commercial property, and we'll, I'm going to make the math kind of easy for us. Let's say that we buy a commercial property that has $600,000 in net operating income. So that's how much after you take all the rents and you subtract out the 
vacancy uh, factors and so on, and then you subtract out the expenses, there's $600,000 left come the end of the year. And we're in a market that has a 6% cap rate, a six cap. We would pay $10 million to buy that property. So here's what we mean by cap rates. Uh, a lot of folks are confused by it. They're, they're, it's an odd term. I don't really understand what it means. Um, so, so let me give it to you two ways. Uh, so one, the definition is the unleveraged rate of return on uh, capital. So if you buy a $10 million p uh, property and it's unleveraged, in other words, you actually write a $10 million check, if you get a 6% return, 6% of $10 million is $600,000. So it's the unlevered rate of return. Another way to think about it that, that I often use is, um, how much do I have to pay to buy $1 of net operating income? How much do I have to pay to buy a dollar of income? Now, if it's a, uh, if it's a six cap, uh, and this is where my, my math skills can, can trouble me. So I'm going to grab my calculator. Remember, like I said, it's just math. There's nothing uh, terribly uh, complicated about this. So we're going to take a look here. And uh, every dollar that I buy, I'm paying $16 uh, for that dollar of income. So $600,000 times 16 is $10 million. It's actually $16.6, $16.66 for every dollar that I'm purchasing. Uh, some people will call that a multiple. That's another term you'll hear. Multiples and cap rates are inverses of each other. So here's how that works in terms of how my equity grows. So my equity grows, uh, I generate an additional $60,000 in net operating income, right? So I go from $600,000 to $660,000. That extra $60,000 at a six cap is worth a million dollars because you would have to spend a million dollars to buy $60,000 of net operating income. So we've added a million dollars in value to the property at the same time that we've reduced the value, the uh, principal amount on the note. So we've got equity growth from two ways. There is one other way that that equity number can move. And I say move because it may increase. It also might pull back slightly. And that is if the cap rate itself happens to um, happens to move. So let's let's take our example where we've got a $600,000 prop uh, net operating income and and we increase it, right? We increase it to $660,000 and as we said at a 6 cap that would then be an $11 million asset. Well, let's say that the cap rate went down to 5%. Well, now it's a $13.2 million property. We went up by over $2 million more than the 11 million that we had grown to. And that's because the cap rate changed, meaning that in the marketplace, there's more demand for these kinds of assets than, there, than this, with the supply being essentially the same or not responding as much. Therefore, the price people are willing to pay now has gone from $16 to $20. People are willing to pay $20 for every dollar of, uh, of income that they, um, that they buy. So that's if it moves in a 
favorable direction. Let's talk about it if it moves in the other direction. So you've got $660,000 and let's say that the cap rate moved to 7%. Well, now instead of our building being worth $11 million, it's worth $9.5 million, meaning that it's actually gone down in value by $500,000. So we would not like cap rates to move that dramatically in an unfavorable direction, meaning higher, but they might. And so that goes back to that pro forma. So when you're looking at an underwrite, one of the questions to be asking the sponsor, that's what you call folks like us, is what kind of exit cap assumptions are you using? If you're buying an asset in a market where six cap is what everybody's doing the business at, are you underwriting that you're exiting at a six, meaning that you don't think there's gonna be any change, which may not be realistic? Are you underwriting that it's gonna go down to a 5%, meaning prices will increase, not because you've improved the proper the quality of the asset or the amount of income, but simply because the market changes, um, uh, which is again, probably not realistic where we are today. Or are you in fact forecasting a higher exit cap, 6.5%, 7%, 7.5%. And that's again, what we do is we forecast a higher exit cap than what the current market cap is, which means if an asset is going to perform in accordance with the performa, we can do that in, in the face of uh, 50 or 100 basis points or more of cap rate movement, which is something you wanna uh, keep in mind. So the last item I'm gonna leave you with is this, is uh, as I said, it's just math, don't be afraid of it. Uh, it's easy to learn. I encourage you to take advantage of the kinds of tools we have. Give me a call, set up an appointment. I'm happy to answer questions for you. And make sure you're talking to your professional team about this. You should have a CPA. You should have an estate planner. You should have uh, risk management professionals. If you're going to actually purchase assets and manage them yourselves, you're gonna want all of that as well as a banking relationship and some other uh, components that go in that. But you should be relying on the input from your professional team to help you make sense of all of this. Because as I said, it is just math. It's not rocket science. And it also helps if you've got a team that you're relying on that has some of that educational background that helps you in that regard. Myself, I'm an accountant. That's what my training has been in. That's what I've done all of my life is I've spoken the language of business uh, numbers. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty excited about all this stuff. If you are an artist or a technology person or a physician, uh, or work in some other line of work where, where uh, math and finance in particular is not part of what you do every day, then get some, get some folks to help you, uh, whether it's, again, your CPA or some other people that can work with you, or a sponsor like uh, Mara Poling that's going to take the time to, uh, to engage. As I said, uh, give me a call. I'm happy to, happy to chat you up and uh, answer questions you've got. You can contact me either at our website, marapolling.com or by email, pat, P-A-T, at marapolling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. I'd be happy to spend 30 minutes with you, answer questions that you've got, sign up for the webinars. They really are a valuable tool. Make sure you listen to the other podcasts we, uh, we have on the, uh, on the platform. Uh, subscribe 
and then you'll uh, get notices when uh, new material is posted. We try to get something up every week. And uh, I thank you for spending the time with us today. Look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.